Hi everyone, you're listening to EFT's podcast, Beyond the Benchmark. My name is Mo Zafsal, I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG. And uh, today we have a very special session on the climate transition strategy. So this is EFG's new discretionary portfolio strategy that is specifically targeting climate transition. So on the um, podcast today, uh, I have uh, Carl and Melanie. So Carl and Melanie, welcome. Thank you. Great. So uh, let's kick off with uh, Carl. So Carl, um, why is it so important um, to tackle climate change and, uh, and really sort of put our responsibility hats on? I mean, we think that this is a long-term trend uh, that we start to capture here. And we think it's more than a trend. We think this is a paradigm shift more than anything else, where things have been moving in this direction for quite some time, but now things have accelerated. And what we have kind of identified are three themes that we think are the main drivers, uh, among others. And the first would be then uh, the change that we already see in consumer behavior. I mean, we see already consumers, especially young generations, shifting uh, how they consume goods and services because uh, they have concerns about climate change. Uh, and this, of course, is uh, picked up by companies and will be reflected in valuations moving forward. Uh, and then um, we also, alongside with this, see increasing corporate commitments where corporations actually start to align themselves toward this uh, net zero future that uh, we hope to see. Uh, and also, additionally, we, of course, we see restricted regulation, which is affecting all companies, especially now uh, primarily in the EU to, to begin with, at least. So um, in terms of you know, the, the reasons why um, young generations are, are so forward in this compared to, say, previous generations, um, obviously, I put put uh, you and, and my as quite a different generation. You know, h- how did you think about this, and why was you know why did you say define your career down this path of of climate transition and and really you know laying your career on it? That's a really great question. Um, honestly, um, I think we have a responsibility for future generations to make what we can to preserve the earth because the, re- the direction that we're moving towards right now is not a very bright one. Uh, and I found this opportunity to do something that I think uh, can have a positive impact. And of course, I wanted to do what I could. One of the big criticisms and uh, they're out there around a climate transition is that they see this as very much a developed world issue rather than an emerging market world issue. Um, and in fact, as we saw in recent um, uh, climate conference in uh, in November, where the discussion was around emerging markets really going back to um, to say the US or, or to Europe and saying, look, you polluted for hundreds of years, and when it's our time, um, you are um, you know enforcing this on us um, when you've already been through this. Um, and, uh, you know, we still need to develop economies and so on and so forth. Um, uh, quite interested in that, in that, you know, your thoughts and the, the debate around this. Yes, I mean, that's a question that comes up quite frequently uh, because, of course, also it's convenient for developing countries not to take responsibility for their pollutions. But I think 
the major thing that we need to keep in mind is that technology has developed a lot since uh, we had our industrial revolution about more than a hundred years ago now. Uh, but still coal is uh, the major fuel type in a lot of the developing countries. But then again, I think also we have a responsibility to help invest uh, to reach the goals that we set up together, because this is a global problem and we need global solutions to do this. Uh, and of course, we need massive investments. The obvious one is always investments in in wind, solar, power and so on and so forth. And I, I think um, certainly one of the big debates and probably not for this podcast is around whether we you know, whether the challenges we have today around climate in terms of higher oil prices, high gas prices are as a result of the fact that we haven't made enough investment in 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 that or we're starving investment in uh, old um uh, old energy technology versus new energy technology. Um said so probably not a pod, not probably not for this podcast, but it certainly is a, a I suspect a major debate at the moment. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think it's a good point. But it's also a good point for the future because the longer we wait now to don't act and don't make the changes we need to be, the more expensive it's going to go, uh, become to go down the line. Generally, I think most people listening to this podcast or in, indeed who are interested in this um, strategy want to really understand a bit more about what is EFG's strategy on climate. EFG started years ago uh, with developing ESG's uh, models and modeling for companies and taking ESG risks into account in, uh, in investment decisions. And that has been a major part. And uh, we have a lot of documents on the webpage on exactly how we do that. Um, but one thing that we do now with this transition strategy is also that we try to take kind of a bigger picture and also forward-looking picture on what, where are we moving and what effect it's going to have. Maybe describe that in a little bit more detail, Carl. The ESG strategy in EFG is based on the GRIP framework, which is the Global Responsible Investment Platform that we have developed in-house in EFG. And what we do is that we assess thousands of companies and uh, their ESG credentials, basically. Uh, where we take in data sources from many providers and uh, make a picture of the company. And that has been very important for EFG. And I think we have been quite well positioned also in, the, uh, in this field. Obviously, ESG, you know, one could argue, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, ESG, um, uh, most other wealth managers, private banks, asset managers have some form of ESG input into their investment processes. What do you think differentiates us relative to some of those other providers? I think one massive difference is the GRIP, the global responsible platform that we have here, because many of our competitors and many, many of other funds and banks that you see, all they do is, is to buy their ratings from one provider. Uh, so basically what they do is to put all their eggs in one basket. And you speak all the time about portfolio diversification and how important diversification is. But then you rely on one single provider for all the sustainability data. And that is more common than most people think. Most funds do this. Uh, I think our approach where we have several providers and where we try to combine them is a massive advantage in trying to capture the real history credentials of companies. So the key point here is that um, we are building our own uh, models. We're also looking 
at each company in the way we want to look at it and how we define it uh, in terms of our process rather than just relying on one provider to say this is this is the score for that particular company and take it for gospel. Um, what's important to us is not necessarily important to the service providers providing that score. Is that a good way to frame it? Okay. So um, when it comes to climate transition and this strategy in particular, take us through the four um, kind of factors that we look at when we're looking at a company and uh, an investment opportunity. For this strategy, we think it's important for the companies to walk the talk. So it's not simply enough for the company to say that we strive to achieve net zero by 2050. That would not be enough for us. And what we do in this strategy is actually has a lot in common with what we do with the grip too which is we take in several uh, providers and their opinions we rate the targets that they have we also have databases that do that but then mainly what we do is we actually take the carbon emission data dating years back and we see are they actually reducing or are they increasing and what pathway are they following on a podcast it's very hard to pictorially show this but if you think about it you have a kind of a graph and you have a line going from left to right or high down to low and the and the uh, x-axis being time if there was um a company to say they they did i know uh, x amount of emissions a year and then by the time it came to 2050, there'll be zero emissions a year. You could actually just draw a straight line. So a straight line from 2022 to 2050. Um, but if I understood it correctly, you have already looked at their carbon emissions previously, i.e. backwards. And then what we're tracking to see is, are they going to achieve that straight line to 2050? And... Um, as many companies often do, they promise that they will get to 2050, don't do anything for the first 10 or 15 or 20 years, and then suddenly think, oh, I have to really do it. Uh, we would penalize those companies that were not doing anything for the first 10 years or 15 years of that 2050 target. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how it works. And also different sectors have different abilities and, uh, and, and so on on decarbonization. So we have also different pathways depending on which sector the company belongs to. And then also, of course, you say uh, the, the pathways were, I mean, um, developed by, by science. So we didn't do the pathways. They have been done by IPCC and International Energy Agency and so on. Uh, what we do is we try to project, we use the trajectories that we have and we map them to the pathway that we know they need to meet. This, in essence, picks out companies that, that may be greenwashing, as we call it, um, companies that are really not that serious about meeting that, their climate pathway um, and just really calling them out um, beforehand um, and or at least challenge them aggressively as to whether they're able to achieve that pathway in the first place. Yeah, correct. I mean, it's quite common that you see companies with very strong targets and they say, we're going to save the world, basically. But with them, when you start to look at the data, it tells a different story. So just to introduce Melanie here. So Melanie um, is one of the portfolio managers uh, alongside Camilla Carlson and obviously over the overall leadership of Stefano Montobio within the ESG team. Obviously, Carl is part of that team. Uh, so, Melanie, um, what are those investment opportunities that we are uh, actually looking at? 
Yeah, I think um, the climate transition overall provides many investment opportunities. But what we say is um, today you can find in the market mainly two main um, opportunities and also solutions out there. So you have either companies that provide solutions to climate change. So um, these are companies like you mentioned before, the well-known names, the wind and solar companies. And then on the other hand, we have companies that have strong carbon emission reduction goals in place. So we divide between these two types of categories. And what our finding was so far is that mostly you have to either decide, do you go with the climate opportunities or go, do you go with the net zero companies? And what we do with the climate transition strategy is actually we invest in both of these opportunities. So we think we really capture the upside opportunities from the companies providing solutions. And on the other hand, we also manage downside risks because we look at the um, net carbon emission um, targets of these companies. As, and as, as Carl mentioned, we also then verify are they really on the pathway they say they want to be. I think this is your your um, analysis actually is quite important because often, as we've seen certainly in financial markets over the last few months, is where uh, a lot of the um, you know climate winners, if you like, of the long term are the ones that are actually highly volatile, don't make much profits today, um, and um, you know uh, are correcting quite heavily or certainly have corrected heavily over the course of the last few months. Um, the flip side, the in some respect, the old economy stocks uh, and and bonds have actually outperformed because they've got stable cash flows, um, uh, but most importantly, have got to meet the the uh, transition uh, path. Um, so, um, Carl, um, there are four buckets that um, we've identified, right, in terms of the the broad sectors that Melanie just identified. Do you want to take us through those? Yeah, I mean, this was more from kind of a conceptual point of view where we built the portfolio. Uh, but the first and major one is, of course, companies that already are doing everything right. They're on the right trajectory. They are reducing emissions in line with the Paris Agreement and everything looks good. Uh, then we have another very important category for meeting the transition, which is what we call enablers. And these are companies that are producing some technology that will be needed as to connect to your what you said earlier about energy in uh, develop, uh, developing markets, emerging markets. And this would be a perfect example of that. Solar panels, for example. And then we have, of course, green bonds, which fits perfectly in the, in the mandate. Uh, but then we have also a few companies where maybe they're not yet exactly in line with the pathway they need to follow, but we see good potential. Uh, and this is a lot of the work that Melanie does, where she follows companies daily and she talks to the management and so on. And then we can also include them into this strategy. So they will be what well, uh, the way I think you define them as laggards with potential. So even even though they haven't necessarily started yet, uh, but they are companies that have, are embarking on on this transition uh, strategy and are serious about it, and and obviously will be the ones that people don't necessarily know or have heard of, um, or, or even think that they've they've gone on to a a, a a positive path. Yeah, we believe there could be some interesting 
opportunities in that space so we wanted to include it as a possibility so last question for you carl on, on the kind of broad setup um you know how do we kind of measure the success you know if a client signs up um to the transition uh, strategy and the mandate um how do you tell them that look this is what you've achieved this is what your money has done for the environment and that's really important and First of all, the most important thing is that the portfolio meets the Paris Agreement, so keeping global warming below two degrees. And what that means is that uh, all the holdings in the portfolio respect the climate path. So of course we will report on the climate path, but then carbon emission is tricky because it's easy to kind of say, okay, I saved uh, 100 kilograms of CO2, but what does that really mean in, in real terms? So we try to do a real reporting where we also put this in perspective and say, okay, you save this much, this much uh, carbon dioxide. And in order to save this, you would have to plant this many trees to compensate for this. And then take it one step further and say, okay, but this would cover the space uh, which would correspond to say 10 times squares filled with trees just to compensate uh, the holdings in, in, this, in your part of the strategy here. So the idea is that you will provide this reporting on a regular basis to uh, so people can really have a look at the difference they're making. Yeah, we believe it's important to actually show to the client that they do something good and they have a, a positive footprint, basically. Uh, and of course, we want to, to show that to the client. So, yeah, we will, we will issue this special report uh, annually to the client so they can see what effect they had. Really looking forward to our client signing up to this. So... Um, so maybe going to um, Melanie uh, in terms of portfolio implementation, you obviously run this with uh, Camilla Carlson and Melanie looks after the equity part, Camilla looks after the um, fixed income part. So what is the difference between, say, the climate transition strategy and just an existing mandate the client may already have with EFG or preferably with somebody else? <laughs> I would say maybe first focus on what is, what is the same. So the, the starting point is the same. So we, all our mandates are based on the views defined by, by our um, a, a global committee. So um, that's why we can say the overall regional and sector allocation is very much in line with, with, with existing mandates. And I think this is also important so we can really benefit from this well-proven process. We can leverage the track record we already have shown and demonstrated with um, these existing mandates. But um, when it comes to the climate transition mandate, overall, it's more focused because it only invests in companies that are aligned with the aim of the climate transition mandate. So what we can say is that all our positions are either providing solutions to climate change or they are investing in companies having strong carbon emission reduction goals in place that is also verified by our um, climate engine that calculates um, the pathway of the different um, companies. But um, more specifically, what is different is um, we call it internally our climate engine. And this is really the, the tool um, that we developed in-house and that allows us to de 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 uh, decide which positions from the overall um, general models to um, remove and replace. Um, so um, we, we remove positions that are not aligned with the aim of the mandate. 
um, and then we replace them with companies that either provide solutions or have these strong um, goals in place. So for example, um, a company um, might have strong goals in place, but co according to our climate engine, um, the company is still not on the pathway to, to net zero. So that's what we mentioned before with walk the talk. So um, these would be companies that we would exclude or otherwise um, there are also companies out there that still really don't um, focus on the environment. They don't have any climate goals um, communicated and there is no data in place. So also in that case, we would exclude such a company. And um, the replacement part, here we focus, for example, on, um, as we said, wind solar developer. This is just really <laughs> the, the, the example, I would say, when it comes to that topic. But, but also um, companies that are on the pathway or even lower than what is required. So there are many companies that um, belong to a sector that has very um, uh, a, a negative pathway, so actually the line goes in the wrong direction, so it's even worse than the market. But if you then look at the company specifically, calculate the data specifically for a company, you realize uh, there are even great opportunities within a sector like the cap goods sector. So th th these would be, in general terms, how we go about um, our climate transition mandate. So overall, uh, overall allocation is very similar to existing mandates, but it's more, more focused and um, really aligned with the aim of the mandate. How much turnover do you expect to have you know, over time in your portfolio? How do you interact with Carl and Stefano and the team? With respect to companies that you're interested in, you want to put into the portfolio, maybe you can talk us through the mechanics of your kind of day-to-day -day work on this. So overall, I would say it's um, we are quite hesitant to change positions quite a lot because the topics we're talking about are really long-term. So that's why we don't expect any big um, position changes on a on a monthly uh, on a monthly basis. Um, so so it's really about long term positions. Also the results you don't see in one month. You see them, yeah, really down the road. Um, and then um, in terms of um, investment team setup, I think it's very important to note that it's quite a diverse team. So we have um, you, Moss, on the team because you're um, our global CIO and chair of the GAC or, or our global um, committee. And so we can ensure really the strong alignment with the current mandate, with our overall well-proven process we have for our discretionary mandates. And then we have our climate experts, Stefano and Carl, on the team. So they really allow us to leverage our deep climate expertise that we have in-house. And, and then, as you already mentioned, we have Camilla, who covers the fixed income part, and myself, who covers the equity part. And we really, together, leverage the expertise across the business that is available and really try then to deliver a best-in-class solution. Um, so, so that's uh, what I like about this approach. You really have the, the different experts in one team and we collaborate very closely. So every position um, we, we, we add or um, delete from, from the models um, is, is heavily discussed between all of us. So it's really a collaborative approach between all of us. In conclusion, um, I'm going to ask the same question I asked uh, Carl. How do you feel about climate? How, you know, you're obviously very passionate about the topic. Um, what is your perspective 
about this strategy and why clients should really um, sign up to it? I think when it comes to the strategy, what I like is what I mentioned in the beginning. So I think this strategy really allows you to combine two very important angles. So I think on the one hand, it's important to focus on companies that really contribute to a, to a better um, climate in the future by reducing their emissions, by having goals in place that can be also verified from our side. And then on the other hand, it's not enough if you only invest in companies that are reducing their emissions. You really need then also the companies that are enabling us to um, develop further. So to develop the technologies that we really need to come to the future that we, that we need. So um, that's why I like this approach. So it combines both sides. And for me personally, I have a son, he's almost three years old now. So for me, 2050 goals, like net zero 2050, I'm thinking about him and his future. And so that's my personal motivation to really do my part that we move in the right direction and invest money that can contribute to a positive change. Well, that's a very well said. If I couldn't say it even better than that. So uh, Melissa, thank you. So that um, wraps us up for uh, today's uh, podcast. Absolutely fascinating, really interesting. We're obviously very excited about this strategy, very excited about the future potential, and most importantly, what it will do for Max and for all of our families for the future. So uh, with that, guys, thank you very much uh, for joining. Obviously, if you have any questions about climate transition, please feel free to contact us and uh, obviously we'll be very happy to have that discussion. Uh, in the meantime, we will catch up with you next week. Thank you. Thank you.